Welcome everybody to church, whether you're watching or you're here in person. Uh, we're excited. As Pastor Dan mentioned, we're going to start a new series. We're kicking off today. It's called Jesus is Greater. And we're going to walk through the four chapters of the book of Colossians. So this is a good time to make a commitment to bring your Bibles to church um, or maybe download the app, get it on your phone. If you don't have a physical Bible, this is a good reason to, to buy one now. Okay, this is a good reason to get a Bible if, if, if you can't afford it, if, if you don't have one. I will personally buy you a Bible, okay? I will buy, just let me know, give me the money, and then I'll go on and order it for you, okay? So you could go ahead and do that. Uh, but let's pray, and then let's ask the Lord to speak to us as we open up the Word. Father God, thank you so much for your Word. Your Word is truth, and your Word is life. God, I pray that you would fill us with it today that we'd be filled with life and joy and freedom as we uh, see what's true. And God, I pray for every person listening, whether it's today or maybe it's a week from now, as we hear this, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us humble hearts to hear. And I, I just pray, Lord, I know that there will be some listening with um, maybe crankiness in their hearts or a critical spirit or whatever it may be, I pray that you would just diffuse that. Let us come to you um, openly and allow you to pour into us, God. And so change us. Change us for good. Help us to grow. Change our lives because of what we know. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Amen. You know, when uh, uh, I was on my sabbatical, Monica and I, I, I shared this a little bit last week, but we went to Asia and we got to stop by the Philippines to visit uh, good friends of ours, Jocelyn and her son Matthew, who were part of our life group here at South Bay Community Church. They were in our Ohana life group. But Jocelyn uh, felt called to move back to her hometown in Bahal in the Philippines. And so we went to go visit Jocelyn and Matthew, and she wanted us to stay with uh, them in their home, but then she really wanted us to actually stay in this brand new hotel and beach resort that was built near their home. It, it's, it was like almost like their prized possession. It won many awards, and many people were flying to the island to visit this place. So she's like, You gotta stay there. And so she arranged for us to stay a couple nights at that hotel, and when we showed up, we pulled up, man, it lived up to its height. It felt like you were in Hawaii. Like, it, it had this real island, beachy vibe, this beach theme, just minus the amazing white sand beaches and the clear aqua waters in Hawaii. But then, but it felt like you were there. And I was like, I could do this. This is cool. And so we get to our rooms, and it was, like, amazing. The rooms were amazing. We could spend all day in these rooms. But we didn't want to miss out on what was offered Right, what the hotel was offering. And so during the days, we would spend time at the pool uh, that kind of circulated around the hotel and resort. kind of looked like this. And so we'd spend time in, in, in these nice pools. And then as evening approached, we would go wash up and get ready. Then we'd just walk the streets of, of that town right outside the hotel. And so this is a picture right outside the hotel. There's little shops and little restaurants. And it's amazing how far a dollar can go in the Philippines. Like everything is so affordable. And so I really enjoyed that. And then toward the end of our stay, uh, we meet up with Jocelyn, and Jocelyn goes, so what do you think about the hotel and, and resort? Like, how is it? She's like, have you been enjoying the beach? How's the beach? And I, and I look at Monica, I go, wait, what beach? 
She's like, you haven't been experiencing the beach? It's the whole reason the place was built. It's a hotel and beach resort. She's like, that's the reason for his existence, that we had no idea that if we just kept walking down the path of the resort past the palm trees, that lo and behold, past the palm trees was the Pacific Ocean. This whole thing was built on white sandy beaches with clear aqua water for us. That's why people fly in to stay at this hotel and resort. And I had no idea. We had completely missed the main thing. We had been spending time in little swimming pools when we had available to us a Pacific ocean of glory to soak and bathe in. We were missing it the whole time. Settling for lesser things when there's something far superior. And Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church there in Colossae to make sure that you don't miss the main thing. Don't miss the main thing, the reason for our existence, the reason why this church was built. His name is Jesus. Don't miss him. See, Paul's in prison and he's in chains as he writes this letter. Some people think he was in Ephesus in chains. Some people think is when he was uh, imprisoned in Rome. But as he's writing it, he's writing it because he, he's hearing great things about these Christians in the city of Colossae. I'm going to put up a map for you. Colossae was in Asia Minor. It's on the very right side of this picture. But it was about 100 miles east of the important city of Ephesus. And he hears great news, but he's never met them. Never met them in person. The church had probably been started by a guy named Epaphras. Probably the guy who brought the gospel to Colossae. And, and Paul's writing them because he's hearing such great things about their faith and their love. But he's also hearing about a great threat to their faith, right? Because the city of Colossae, it was a city with a lot of religion, a lot of religion and a lot of different philosophies. And he hears about this, this belief that was kind of evolving. It was kind of syncretistic in that it pulled from a lot of different religions and philosophies. So it had hints of Gnosticism and Hellenistic philosophies, had hints of mystic Judaism and apocalyptic teaching. It even had hints of Christianity, and it talked about Jesus, except they minimized who Jesus is. And so he's writing to them to make sure that as this teaching is coming your way, don't miss the main thing, the reason for existence. His name is Jesus, and he wants to show that Jesus is so much higher, so much better than anything this world can offer, so much greater and so much more glorious, so much superior and so much more supreme than anything else. Don't miss Jesus. And so he writes this letter, and here's how he opens it up as he introduces himself to this people he's never met. Colossians 1, 1 and 2, which you open up your Bibles, and it reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he's introducing himself, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so as he's introducing himself in this letter, he then goes into a prayer of thanksgiving, which is very common for Paul to do. Then after that, he's going to go into a prayer of petition. He's going to make a request on their behalf. So I'm going to show you both parts. I'm going to start with the prayer of thanksgiving, and it comes in verses 3 through 8. Here's how he gives thanks. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ Jesus on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, I acknowledge that that was a very wordy prayer, and so I wanted to highlight a few things that, that we need to take from this. So he's giving thanks for their faith and their love, their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the others, the saints, the Christians. So faith and love are something that, that is it's going before them, their reputation. He's hearing about this, but where is it coming from? Well, if you looked at verse 5 and 6, it's coming from the hope of heaven, their knowledge of their hope, and also in verse 6, the understanding of grace, since you've heard it and you understood grace. And so you see what's happening here. They know and they understand, and that's causing them to believe and to live out love. Their life of love is coming from what they know, and that is so important, and Paul gives thanks their orthodoxy is leading to their orthopraxy. Orthodo- ortho means straight. It's right. It's correct. So their orthodoxy, they're believing the right things, the right doctrines. And that's leading to a right practice, orthopraxy, a right living. It's like I thank God that the two are tied together. Because you guys realize, church, that, that you could have the right beliefs but the wrong practices. You can know all the right things but live the wrong way. Recently, you know, our hearts are saddened. Anytime we hear of any Christian falling or any Christian leader, and recently we heard about a great Christian thinker named Ravi Zacharias who was a world-famous Christian apologist, evangelist, he would defend the Christian faith, travel all over the world to, to step up to skeptics and atheists and, and show them how these are the words of life. I mean, so many people have benefited, written over 30 books on theology and doctrine. I myself have personally benefited from his teaching. My roommate I shared about last week, that godly roommate, he introduced me to Ravi Zacharias, and we would listen to his teachings, and we would just get fed doctrine. And so if anyone had orthodoxy, it was Ravi Zacharias. And then after he passed last year in May of 2020, there were these allegations against him that he had behaved inappropriately and and there's some sexual misconduct in his life. And so there was an investigation months after month of investigation. And sad to say that his own ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, led by his own daughter who took over for him, came out to publicly apologize and express their grief and their brokenness and repentance and remorse after learning the truth that he had been living totally inconsistent with everything he knew and taught. 
And when that happens, that does not bring God glory. And then on the flip side, we know that the other is true, that you could have all the right practices, but have wrong doctrine. I, uh, we, in, our, in our family, we have um, an auntie in our family, our extended relatives, and she's a, she's a devout Buddhist, right? Not like, you know, the nominal cultural Buddhist that is so common. She's like, no, she's the real thing. She's a temple-visiting, statue-worshipping, diet-restricting, Buddhist to the core kind of Buddhist. And, and I, I remember we were talking about religion, and I asked her, I said, hey, what if your daughter which is Monica's cousin, I said, what if your daughter decided one day she wanted to become a Christian? Would you be upset? And I was surprised. She goes, no. She's like, I would totally support her. She's like, what's important to me is that she chooses to live an upright and moral life. And since Christians try to do that, if she decided to be a Christian, I, I would totally support her if she lived a good and moral life. And so here you have an example of someone who who's totally cool with Christian orthopraxy. She values Christian orthopraxy, just unwilling to subscribe to Christian orthodoxy. So you can live the right way, but not subscribe to the right truth. Or you can have the right truth and live the wrong way. Neither of these brings glory to God. None of these honor God. It must be tied together, and Paul sees and hears about the Colossian church, and he's thanking God, praise God because of your knowledge of hope and your understanding of grace, which is causing you to, to have this love for others, this, this faith in Christ Jesus, and I praise God for that, and I pray that that would be something that people would say about our church, that they would give thanks because we're believing the right things, teaching and saying the right things, but also living it out because we believe it. Amen? That we would be a church that ties together what we know and how we live. And so that's the prayer of thanksgiving for their church. I pray it will be uh, thanksgiving that we can give for us as well. But then he goes on now to the prayer of petition. And he starts making a request for them. And here's the prayer of petition, verses 9 and 10. We'll start with the first two verses. And he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with knowledge. Circle that word, knowledge. The knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Circle that word, understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing good fruit, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you can stop right there. And so I just had you circle two things he's praying for. Knowledge and understanding. What did Paul just give thanks to God for? Their knowledge and understanding, their knowledge of hope, understanding of grace, which led to faith and love. Why are you praying for it if you're already thinking, God, that they have it? Well, he's just praying that they would be filled with more. See, it's like they have this tank, and it's full of knowledge and understanding. God, would you just top it off? Would you fill them up even more? Would you fill them up even more? So he wants them to know God even more, more and more. And in three ways, he's praying specifically that that knowledge would help them to grow. So let me show you those three ways. He gives us three statements. I'm going to break down each one for you. Verse 10 again, it says, By bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge 
of God. So would you write this down? If you're taking notes, write this down. He's praying that they would grow in good works and in knowledge. That they would grow in good works and knowledge. Now just backtrack a little bit with me. Remember in verses 4 and 5, he says, man, you have faith and you have love because of the hope that you have. Faith, love, and hope. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Faith, love, and hope? Remember 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. It's the love chapter, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is what? Is love. Love. And in that chapter, he's talking about, you know, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. And then he talks about love. And then he says that it's love that is the power behind all our good works. Without love, our works are meaningless, it's fruitless, but with love, it can be fruitful. So this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll show you that. Verse 1 and 2. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, you could do all this stuff, you could live this big, good life, but if you have no, no love, then it's meaningless. It has no value. It's fruitless. And so... Love is the engine behind all that we do as Christians. It's power to all our good works. And so the question is, how do we grow in love? Like, how do you grow? Do you just tell yourself, I need to love? Come on, Greg, love more. Just muster up love in you? He says, no, 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 no. He starts praying that not only will they bear fruit in good works because of their love, but that they would also grow in knowledge. And I don't believe those are two separate things. I think there's, there's, there's something tied together in that. Because I believe the more you know God, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more sincere your service will be. Because you're operating now out of a sincere love for the God that you serve. And when you do that, your works will bear good fruit. It will be fruitful and effective. Now here's the thing. As as Paul's praying that they grow in this knowledge, the word he uses in that original language is the Greek word epigenosis. And that, that knowledge is a precise and correct knowledge, a full knowledge. So he's praying that they would grow in a more precise, correct knowledge of you. I love that because the truth is the closer you walk with someone, the more intimate you are with them, the more precise your knowledge is of them. I have three kids, and people will oftentimes come to me just very considerate, very caring, and they'll ask me, hey, Greg, how, how are your kids? How's Evan and Carissa and Ariana? <laughs> You're laughing because there's a problem there. Those aren't my kids. My, I have three kids, Evan, Karis, and Aranea, but I don't know who Ariana and Carissa is. And I can't slam them. I'm not trying to slam them because some of you guys call my daughter to that. But that's okay because Aranea is a, a, a weird name. It's, it's unusual. There's no one else named Aranea. People butcher the spelling of the name all the time and also butcher the pronunci pronunciation of the name Aranea. I get that. So I, I, I don't judge you. 
But my point is there are people who walk closely with me and, and my family who know precisely that my kids are Evan, Karis, and Aranea. That comes from time being spent with us, and they've learned it over time. It wasn't always like that, but they, they're learning it. And the truth is, the closer you walk with us, the more you will know us precisely. There are people who walk with our family and know us well. They will know precisely that Monica and I, we've been married since 2009. And they might be able to tell you precisely August of 2009. And they know that, that Monica and I aren't just a Chinese couple. But they know precisely that she's actually Taiwanese and I'm Cantonese. Those are two very different things. And they know that about us. They also know that, that Monica went to Peninsula High. And I went to West High, which is the best high. They know that. <laughs> they should know that. And that the both of us together, we went to UCI, which we all know stands for UC Ivy League of the West Coast. Amen. Thank you. I'm glad you know that too. But they know things about us, and they know that Monica has certain foods and certain drinks she likes. They, they know who cuts my hair and what fills my cup. They know things about us because they have spent time with us. And the more you know someone intimately, the closer you are to them, the more precise your knowledge is of them. And so Paul is praying. I pray that as you walk with Christ, that, that God would give you a fuller more correct, more precise knowledge of him. Epigenosis, that you would know him as he is. And here's the thing, though. Have you guys ever realized that sometimes the closer you get to someone and the more you know them, the less impressed you are with them? And you realize, I don't like them as much. <laughs> I've had people uh, come visit the church and they'll see me preaching up here from the seats and then... I'll meet them for the first time in the lobby. I had someone come up to me in the lobby and up close, they said, whoa, you look different up close. <laughs> and it wasn't a kind of like, oh, you look better up close. It wasn't that at all. But it's like, whoa. Like, that, that happens. The closer you get to someone, you see their imperfections. You see who they really are. Not just physically, but relationally, too. People who know me and my family, they know my kids are Evan, Karis, and Irenea are also those who are probably least impressed with me. They'll probably come to see my real sinfulness. Ways that I fall short as a husband. Ways that I can definitely grow as a father. They've seen glimpses probably of my selfishness. They, they've seen things about me that they didn't see from afar, that many of you guys have not seen from afar. And the closer you get, sometimes you see how real they are and the, least, the less impressed you are with them. How many of you guys remember that first time you met somebody? Maybe even they're like maybe famous or an influencer or powerful or just somebody that you're like the first time. I was like, man, this person's amazing. Like, they're so funny, and they're, they're so nice, and they're friendly, and, and I could just talk with them forever. And then as time goes on, it's like, eh, they're just a normal person. And that shine goes away, and that, that's, that's the reality. That sometimes, the more you get to know someone, it's just not that new anymore. And yet, it almost seems like Paul is convinced that God, as they get to know you more, as they walk with you and get to know you more precisely, it's almost like he's convinced that they're only going to love you more. They're going to be left in awe of you. 
Why is that? Here's the difference. As you get to know me, you will get to know my humanity. But as you get to know God, you will get to know his deity, his integrity, his beauty, how perfect and awesome and pure he is. And he chose you. The more you get to know him, the more you ought to be in awe of him. That's the difference between getting to know me and getting to know God. And so, God, may they grow in their knowledge of you. See, the problem in the Colossian church, this heresy that was making its way in, part of it taught that you had to have, like, this secret knowledge, this mysterious secret knowledge to be saved. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You don't need some secret knowledge. You need spiritual knowledge. Knowledge that comes from the Spirit of God, and the more you walk with Him, the, the, the fuller, the more precise your knowledge of Him will be. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that when that happens, our love for Him will grow, and when our love for Him grows, the more effective our good works will be, the more fruitful our works can be, because we're now serving in a sincere love. The more I know you, the more I want to love you and love others. And that love is the engine for all good works. Because without love, our good works are just like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. It's just good for nothing. And so that prayer for them may be the prayer for us, that our church would also grow in good works because of our knowledge of him. Amen? Amen. So that's the first way, that, that they would grow in knowledge. Here's the second thing, that they would grow in endurance and patience. Would you write that down? To grow in endurance and patience. We get that from the next verse, verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Circle those two words, endurance and patience. And so what he's praying for ultimately, generally, is that they would be strengthened. That there would be this power in them, and it's manifested in endurance and patience. Now, those are two interesting words. Uh, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it breaks it down for us, and it says this about endurance. It says that word endurance, it denotes this, uh, this ability or capacity to press through, to see things through. You're enduring. And then the, the word for patience it's this word that denotes that ability to, to stand when you, you feel like you're being attacked or you're injured or insults are thrown at you. You're, you're not going to try to retaliate and attack and avenge, but you're going you're to be patient, long-suffering. You're not letting it knock you down, but you're just going to be patient. So one's almost like on the offensive, we're going to endure and press you. One's on the defense, we're going we're gonna to be patient. We're going to trust God. You know, my, my kids, uh, they, they all love going to the beach. When we go to the beach, they love just playing in the water, in the shore break. And sometimes the water will be coming in. When the tide comes in, those, those waves come and break on the shore. And I know, as a surfer, I know that the, my kids, my little kids are no match for the waves. The waves will easily knock them down and sweep them away. But they want to go play in the water. Daddy, we want to go in the water. And so a lot of times with my little kids, what I would do is I would take them and then I would take them to the water. I would hold them in my arms or hold them like this. And as the wave starts rolling in and it comes, I would take them and we would, boom, we would like go up against the wave and like we would crash through the wave and it would break over us. And then as the water passed and then as it starts to recede and go back into the ocean, it feels like, whoa, 
right? Have you felt that? And all of a sudden your feet start disappearing. Start sinking in the sand like quicksand, and it feels like the whole earth under you is moving, and you just got to hold still. And then another wave would roll in, and I would take him, and we would boom, crash through that wave. It would come over us again and again, and it would start receding, and i got to stand still. And I love that picture because it's not my kids' strength that's keeping them from getting swept away. It's not my kid who is powerful to, to go up against a wave, but it's the strength of their father. And as a father, we will endure and press through these ways or we will stand grounded when, when the world under us seems to be swept from under our feet. It's the father standing planted. And I love the picture of when he prays that they would be strengthened. Look what it says, that they would be strengthened in verse 11 with all power according to his glorious might. So he's praying not that you would find strength in yourself and that you would muster up enough strength, but that his might would be found in you. God's power would empower you. That by his might, you might stand. And it's this picture of our heavenly father who's powerful and strong holding you in his arms. That no matter what life throws at you, this fallen world we live in, we could be overwhelmed with the waves of sickness in our family or overwhelmed with stress in the workplace or overwhelmed with sorrows for my soul. And we could easily find ourselves weak and yet in his strength we can endure and press through. And when everybody wants to attack us, the world seems to be swept from under us. It is the Father who will cause us to patiently in power, stand. That's the kind of God we have. He's a good God. And so the prayer for the church in Colossae may be the same for us. God, may your church be strengthened in endurance and patience. Whatever this world throws at us, whatever conflict we experience in this fallen world, may we have endurance and patience. Amen? Amen. One more thing, number three. He prays that they grow in thankfulness. He prays that they grow in thankfulness. Last three verses, starting from verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us. Would you circle that word, transfer? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I love this. Paul's praying that the believers would grow in thanksgiving. For what? For the fact that they have an inheritance to share in the kingdom. The reality is a lot of times as Christians, maybe you're feeling that right now, where we can sometimes be like the Israelites who were, as they were being transitioned into a new life of promise, the promised land, they found themselves so often grumbling, looking back and wishing they were back there in their old life. Right there in this desert place, God has good things for them, but they keep fixing their eyes on what they, they had. Yeah, we were enslaved. Yeah, we were embittered. Yeah, we were captivated. But man, maybe we should be back there. Because that's more desirable than where I am right now. And sometimes as Christians, as we're carrying the cross, following Christ, sometimes you feel like that. 
God, why can't I enjoy the things I used to enjoy? Why do I have to be ridiculed by my friends and coworkers and my classmates? God, why do I have to love my coworker when it's so much easier to just talk trash about them or ignore them like I used to? And sometimes carrying that cross can feel so heavy and we can grumble and say, man, I, I wish I was back there. It's much easier in that kind of life. Paul says, no, give thanks for what you now have. We've been rescued from a domain of darkness. Don't go back there. When I, uh, before I became a pastor, I used to work for uh, my wife's family business. And uh, I remember during the lunch break, I was talking to one of the coworkers I had there. And uh, he had spent several years in prison. And he was sharing with me about a good friend he met in prison. And that, that guy had been in, in there for a long time. It became the life he knew. And he shares with me how he, he had been in there for so long and had grown so accustomed to it that when he was finally released from prison, he was set free. He was free to go into the world. He goes back into the world and nothing in him had changed. He was still the same guy, still thinking the same way, getting into the same kind of trouble. And it was hard for him to adjust to this world. And, and he would think back to what it was like in prison. It was easier in prison. It's not like this world had that much more to offer. At least I had food. And I, had to, I didn't have to think about shelter. And I didn't even have to think about clothes. And there's part of him that just wanted him to go back. And so he grew depressed. He didn't even know what to do with himself anymore. And so you know what he did? He went and got a gun. And he went in and held up an elderly couple, threatened to take their life. And then he waited for them to call 911, patiently. Go ahead, call 911. And then he waited patiently for the cops to come. And then he waited patiently for them to lock him up in handcuffs to bring him back, according to plan. He had been set free from a domain of darkness only to be transferred to a Another domain of darkness, a world of darkness still fallen and full of sin. So he just went from darkness to darkness, and I just want to go back to that darkness. And yet, church, we need to give thanks. Because God has delivered us from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of light. A brand new kingdom under his son, Jesus Christ. A, a kingdom of freedom and grace and mercy. This is a new life, so give thanks. Don't forget where you have been set free from. And just like God wanted to save the Israelites out of slavery and bring them into the promised land, he did that for the Colossians and he did that for us. And you got to realize, he didn't just rescue you from your sin. He didn't just redeem you from an old life, but he is transferring us. That word is so key. He is bringing us into a new kingdom where you can experience the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Is it always going to be easy? It's not always going to be easy. But remember where you came from. And give thanks for where you are now. I want to close with this very simple illustration. A few years ago, um, my, my family and I, we were driving back from Northern California, and it was miserable. How many of you guys have ever been in that stop-and-go traffic? And it was more stop-than-go, but you're stopped, 
And a few moments later, you go a little bit and stop and go. And it's summer, right? So, like, I, even though we had the ACs going, I mean, heat is getting trapped into our car. And I got three kids in the back, and everybody's complaining, are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? Every two seconds. And it's like, this is miserable. And the reason why it was stop and go was because there were brush fires. So we see smoke. We see fire up ahead. And it was so, it was so close to that. At one point, I have a video of this. I took a video, the, the fire had come right up to the, the highway. And you wonder if it's going to jump and, and set your car on fire. So I'm stopping, st- stop and go, stop and go. Kids crying, smoke and fire everywhere. And I could see up ahead where, where a lot of the fire was coming from. And there were like firefighters and first responders and it's stopping. And I just wanted to get out of there. And then all of a sudden, you get up to the spot where, you know, the fires are. Then you got all the rubber, rubberneckers, and that's what, what's causing the holdup. But once you cross this threshold, all of a sudden, everything opens up. Everything just opens up, and it's like right when you cross that threshold, then you could hit the gas, and you could fly and get out of there. And as, I, as I'm finally set free, and I'm driving, I'm driving not like this. I'm not driving like this. With my eyes focused on the traffic and the smoke and the fire. No, I'm driving like this. I'm driving looking forward and I got the smile on my face enjoying my heart because this is free. This is flowy. I love this. And though I'm not focused on that, I'm focused on this. But every once in a while, it's good to glance in the rearview mirror because I can still see the traffic back there stopped and backed up. I can still see the smoke and the fire. And I remember where I just came from. And thank God he got me out of that. And thank God I'm here. Church, we've been delivered from a domain of darkness. Let's walk in his freedom, but let's be thankful for where we came from. Is it always going to be easy? No. May there be bumps on the road ahead? Probably. Might there be some suffering on the road ahead? If the Bible is true. But we have Jesus Christ, our King. We have God, our Father, holding us. We have so much in this new kingdom of light. So I pray that we live with great thankfulness. I no longer have to live in sinfulness. I no longer have to dwell in my selfishness. I no longer have to mope in my hopelessness. I no longer have to fear. I don't have to panic in fearfulness because we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free and we now live in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, church, may we grow like the Colossians in good works because of our knowledge, in endurance and patience, and in thankfulness because of Jesus Christ. There is no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God. Let's pray. Father God, it's with great thankfulness and joy that we worship and I I really do pray that you would help us to not just know what we just read but help us to live it out that we truly would grow in our knowledge of you that causes us to just love better and better help us to stand strong to endure and to be patient when this world gets crazy when it's difficult 
And Lord, always help us to just grow in thankfulness. That our hearts will be full of praise when we remember that we're not what we used to be. There might be glimpses of that, but Lord, we, we are a new creation. We have a new life and a new kingdom. Under Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you are worthy of praise. There is no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no one like our God. And so it's in Jesus' name we praise. Amen.